It is a good time to be a Sixers fan. Welcome to the Sixers Talk Podcast. So glad you could join us. We're brought to you by Wilmington University. Danny Pommels, along with Noah Levick, our producer extraordinaire, Ben Barry, in the cut as always. Noah, we're eight and two at the top of the Eastern Conference standings. It's 10 games, Noah. I'm not getting overboard here, but you got to like what you've seen from the 76ers team. All the... Uh, Trends and uh, omens are, are in the right direction for the Sixers right now. Doc Rivers picks up his 1,000th win. Joel Embiid had 20 and 10 at the half against the Chicago Bulls and finished with 30 and 15 in some memorable moments. And Furkan Korkmaz was hotter than two squirrels wrestling at a wool sock, Noah. It was a great game. We're coming to you here as the Sixers have won six straight. And the New York Knicks are on the horizon. We'll get to all that as they uh, look for some revenge here in their next game. But, man, what a great showing for the Sixers as they go into Chicago. And here they rattle off another three wins since our last podcast, two against the Bulls, one against the Pistons. Um, And and some different lineups at that, as as, uh, Doc Rivers had promised us uh, earlier in the season. Um, Noah, what are your observations? You always have them for us on the website after the games, three of them. Um, We don't have to speak specifically about those, but something that, you would like to start with? Yeah, you touched on a lot. I guess the one thing I'd note is that the Sixers have used a lot of different lineups out of necessity. So they currently have three players in the NBA's health and safety protocols, unfortunately, uh, in Tobias Harris, Isaiah Joe, and uh, Matisse Thibel most recently. Uh, So you never like to see that, but the resilience and the grit of this team uh, already uh, are standout qualities. Uh, and it's been cool to see some of the players who might not otherwise get opportunities shine in these situations. I think last night, uh, Paul Reed, it was neat to see him get his first NBA start and did a lot of good things. Uh, the typical energy and offensive rebounding all, and all of that. And then, held up okay in a very difficult matchup against uh, a star player in DeMar DeRozan. Uh, so I thought that was neat. Uh, and then Furkan Korkmaz, uh, he, these games are becoming more regular for him. Like it used, it used to be, you know, once in a blue moon, maybe he'd explode for uh, an exceptional quarter or uh, he'd have a, a hot shooting game here or there. Uh, but he leads the Sixers in fourth quarter scoring by a, a quite a wide margin, actually, this season. I believe he is at 62 points uh, in his nine games this season in the fourth quarter. Uh, so just outstanding production there and hit another clutch shot in Chicago. Uh, and then, though many players besides Joel Embiid have come through in the clutch and have made momentum turning plays for the Sixers, I think it was obviously encouraging that Joel Embiid looked like the MVP runner-up last night. Uh, and led the Sixers to six straight wins. So who knows how long this can last, but uh, if you're a Sixers fan, I think you enjoy it um, for however long it lasts. And this team is 8-2 and two and at the top of the Eastern Conference, and uh, Ben Simmons has still not played for them. So uh, all positives there. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. 
write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yeah, man. Um, the Ben Simmons stuff we'll get to. We'll get to really a gauntlet of the schedule. If you look at it, starting with uh, that Chicago game before the Pistons game, um, this run of games are going against back-to-backs included, as well as a date with Milwaukee Bucks. But um, let's start with Joel Embiid, huh? I mean, early in the game against the Bulls, you know, uh, Joel Embiid, a 38% three-point shooter last season, if I'm correct, um, had not been at that clip here earlier in the season. He, you know, the NBA had changed the basketball, um, and he kind of alluded to that maybe being an issue. But whatever it was, I guess there was some blood on the ball initially in the game uh, against the Bulls, and the ball got subbed out, and all of a sudden Joel just continued the ball out. So, I mean, who knows what what the blueprint was there, and obviously it was all happenstance, but um, that ball came, new ball came in, and Joel started balling out. And, I, you know, no, I mean, I know the emphasis on the jump shots. I know he has turned his 15-foot jump shot into nearly a layup, but do you feel like there's any uh, need for more balance between the jumpers and how much he spends time in the paint as far as how he gets his game going? Because it seems like he'll get his game going on the outside if that's what the defense has given him rather than try to establish himself inside. So sometimes I feel like the balance might not really annoy me, but it might be a little thing that's in the back of my mind about how I might like Joel to dominate better. I think that's fair. I I think with him, the one number worth monitoring on that front is always just the free throws. I think as long as he's still drawing free throws and as long as he's scoring somewhat efficiently, uh, you can't have too many complaints. But inevitably, yeah, given the... Live by the jumper, die by the jumper. Isn't that the same? Isn't that the same? So at some point, it comes back to bite you a little bit, not to interrupt you. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, no, there's there's always a tricky balance for him, and I, I think part of what makes it difficult is teams double team him so often and so aggressively that uh, if he has an opportunity to take a comfortable mid range jumper, it seems like he often prefers that over okay, here's yet another possession where I have to just make the smart play and pass it to a teammate who might not be quite as successful uh, with that opportunity. Uh, but it's always a tricky mix for him, uh, and I think. Everything looks a lot better when he's shooting, you know, four for five for, for three point from mm. three point range as he My God. goals. Uh, and yeah, I mean, when everything's working for him, uh, defenses just don't have many great answers. Uh, and and I think we started to see like the version that that particular player uh, last night in Chicago. The whole ball discussion is fascinating and a little perplexing. He couldn't even put his finger on like what specifically is different or what about the adjustment has been tough with this ball. He just said, yeah, the ball's new and uh, that's difficult for me. Uh, Maybe last night is a sign that he's figuring it out and the grip is a little more comfortable than it once was. Uh, Maybe it's still going to take a little bit of time. Uh, We have seen just like as a trend across the NBA, uh, offenses have been less successful. Defense has been winning out a little more. You figure part of that is the new points of emphasis with the officiating, with them wanting to cut down on like the non-basketball moves. Uh, And then it's tough to, to know how much exactly the ball might be a factor. But uh, if Joel Embiid is, is making three point shots, uh, 
all's good with the ball uh, for now. There were a few moments there when he was hitting shots, Noah, and I was just putting myself in the seat of a Bulls fan watching this other player come in and just big seven-foot dude just showing balance and agility and hitting long-range shots. I mean, I, I was just looking at fans' reactions. A lot of people were sick in the stands. Because some of those shots were just really heartbreaking baskets Joel was hitting because they thought they had him locked up. They thought they had him uh, contained, but yet he would just swish a jumper or some fallaway shot or some three. Um, it was just a joy to watch, particularly as the momentum continues to build with this team. Um, I, I would be amiss if I didn't mention Joel almost punching Lonzo Ball's lights out because, once again, there is a balance, Noah, from whether it be the jump shots in the inside game, whether it be offense and defense, whether it be controlling your emotions or knowing when to be uh, a bit emotional. And Joel, also a fine line at that, you know, we can go to the social media stuff and him and trash talking and having to back down that a little bit and, you know, him finding the balance between his diet and working out. And here his emotions came out and, hey, we can all relate to having – a call not go our way, not really, you know, in that uh, extent as an NBA level, but just, you know, playing basketball and like, you know, something not going your way or competing at any sport or, or poker or whatever, whatever, bowling. And uh, he turns around for those that didn't see and just like punches the air, but in that airspace happened to be Lonzo Ball's head and face and his reflexes helped him avoid that to his credit. Joel was given a technical foul. I thought the technical file was warranted. I, I get what Allah and, uh, you know, um, uh, Tom McGinnis were saying on the broadcast. There was a little bit of, you know, uh, in, in between there where you could have the gray area where you could have interpreted either way. But I say all that to say that I think Joel does need a little bit of balance there when it comes to the emotions, because that could have been really left Alonzo Ball in a way that none of us would expect or want. Uh, particularly for a guy like that who's who's a great player to watch, fun for the NBA. Um, that team is a great team to watch, and you hope to see them develop and, and become something of, of a rival at some extent or some type of way. But what what are your thoughts, man? I know I spoke a lot, but it was just a, such a surreal situation because you had to, like, pick a side, it felt like. Agreed. I'm glad that we're not having this conversation you know after mb might have made contact there because uh that, that could have been quite ugly uh i do think you you bring up a good point of him having to find this balance on the emotional side too and something that comes to mind there is during that uh just catastrophic 2019-20 season he talked quite frankly on a few occasions about how he wasn't having fun and he was trying to rein in his emotions, but it wasn't working. And I think part of that you can obviously attribute just to uh, the failure of the, the on-court fit with Al Horford and that team not living up to expectations and everything. Uh, but he was candid um, with, with reporters about he's trying to be more mature and he's trying not to trash talk and it's not working because he's not having fun on the court. So I think just the joy of, of playing the sport and uh, winning with his teammates has always been a big part of his success and, and what allows him to be a great player. Uh, so 
I think, um, yeah, that there's a certain emotional engagement that he needs um, that's maybe not like the Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan sort of archetype of just the ice-cold killer. Like, I don't think that's ever who Joel Embiid is going to be. Uh, but the good news is he is clearly enjoying himself on this team. Uh, I think everyone's having a lot of fun. They're sharing the ball. They're winning games against the odds in these shorthanded situations. Uh, so it shouldn't take too much effort for him to have fun, given the, the current circumstances. Uh, and, you know, he has a lot on his shoulders, I think, uh, as the sole all-star on this team right now. Uh, and I'm sure he feels some pressure that's related to that. But, uh, yeah, as far as having fun, um, that's not an issue right now, which is great. I mean, you, you see both sides of it in, in the one game, and he's upset and, and punches the air and almost punches Lonzo Ball's lights out. But he hits this ridiculous rainbow back-breaking three-pointer in front of the Chicago fans and then turns and does like a quasi-Jordan shrug, uh, you know, to the fan. He's talking and clam- – like, that's what we want. We want to see that interaction. Like, that's, that's why basketball has the amazing global appeal because you're so close – to these amazing athletes and you know they're 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 performing and and you can that you turn and speak to them or they can speak to you or, or whatever um and even going back to the first chicago bulls game that freaking block on De- demar derozan i mean we haven't had a pod since then like that block on demar derozan and the interaction the two of them had afterward where they're like both looking at the jumbotron and talking like I don't know, like you know, I didn't, I didn't body you up like you, like the ref thought. Like you can just almost, you know, fill in the blanks of what the, the, the interaction is there. But that emotion is is the stuff that we love and and don't want to take away from. Um, but you know, I, I guess it's just indicative of all the things that we all try to figure out or or balance out or you know, we were all dealing with things that you know too many wings and pizza during the party or, you know what I'm saying? Not enough fruits and vegetables or, you know, we all have the stuff that we're trying to work through. So uh, it's just um, fascinating. I mean, just amazing to see Joel grow and perform and, and do all these things. And we all just want to see him on the court as much as possible and avoid those interactions, which might color his per, per, per uh, his persona, his, his personality a certain way. Yeah, no, I agree with that sentiment for sure. I think also notable, again, since since our last podcast, uh, he did sit out his first game of the season. They gave him a, a night off for that Pistons game. Uh, but all indications are that the knee might not be 100%, but there's no reason to be greatly concerned about his health, uh, which is especially positive given the context of where the Sixers are at and that they have all these players sidelined, uh, at least Joel Embiid seems to be healthy, seems to be performing uh, at a very high level and, and not be um, bothered at all by his knee. So uh, that, that is, I think, certainly always worth noting and worth monitoring with him. Let's take a quick time out. Um, a lot more to get to, but we'll stick in a little sponsorship here and come back and talk more about how this team is winning these basketball games, Noah talked about the Detroit game. Um, Tobias Harris has been out, and we haven't had Ben. We haven't had Joel at instances, and this team continues to roll 
We'll get into that plus some Ben Simmons talk after this. Make your move in 2022. A Wilmington University education can take you where you want to go. Spring classes start January 10th. Apply today at wilmu.edu. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Man, Noah, uh, the wins are piling up for this team and it it's just goes to show that the chemistry and all of the continuity that they had talked about in the preseason and how all this Ben Simmons stuff was not a distraction and they're just focused on who was there at camp really was true. Uh, they really are showing that um, the interchangeable lineups and uh, the next man up mentality is working for them. Let's just keep it current, man. Furkan Korkmaz, um, it was a couple of threes where I was sitting on my couch watching that and they go, ooh, like, like, like threes in people's mitt and, and just the, that incredible shooting pocket, Noah, where he's got the, the – his hands are up high and by the time he catches the ball and is in his motion, it, I mean, the, the, it's like a, a quarterback and like their, their time and a release time when they throw the football, it's just like – it's like two seconds. He's like – he's got it and it's in the air. Um, how impressed were you with the way he showed up in Chicago hostile environment? I mean, you did say, you know, more, these games are becoming more regular for him and he's definitely maturing and growing and we got to remember he's only in his mid twenties. Um, but man, uh, just fun to watch, bro. Is this just pure shooting? And, um, it just, once again, it's contagious for this team. For sure. I, I think what's been encouraging with him both this year and, uh, to an extent last year as well is even when he's not, you know, scoring 25 points and nine for 12 shooting or whatever, uh, he's making positive contributions. I think this year, the development uh, has been with handling the ball and, and creating plays for his teammates and being a facilitator. And, and again, some of that's been out of necessity because of them being shorthanded and because of uh, the, the Simmons saga and all that. Uh, and then also for the most part with, with occasional exceptions continues to be reliable defensively and isn't really getting picked on on that end of the floor, which is, is great um, because he is an electric shooter at times. And uh, yeah, as you know, it has this ultra quick high release. And when you think about how many like high degree of difficulty, tightly contested shots he takes, I can't remember the last time I saw him get one blocked. Like, he always gets it off and um, mm-hmm. fires them up and believes with every fiber of his being that that shot is going in. Uh, so it's great. It's great to have a player like that with that, I think, limitless confidence. And uh, with, 
he's showing more and more the ability to actually back up that self-belief and score in important moments and uh, just someone who's never, never afraid to shoot the ball uh, is a great thing to have on a team, especially I think in the context of like last year, I think Doc Rivers was correct that the Sixers were at times overly selfless late in games. Like they just probing the defense and, and working the shot clock to the end and, and trying to find the perfect wide open shot. And sometimes, especially in the fourth quarter, you need someone who just wants the ball and, doesn't have any reservations about shooting that. And that is for Con Korkma. So again, as we, we probably, you know, tend to know most of the time after these games, he's not going to score 25 points every night. He's not going to shoot nine for 12 every night, uh, but it seems like he's going to do it some of the time. And that's great. And it seems like the game uh, that he does not do that. He, you know, well, at least most of the time be contributing in other ways, whether that's, you know, decent assist to turnover ratio, you know, playing, you know, capable defense, what have you. Uh, so, yeah, really nice start to the season for for, for Con Korkmaz after uh, re-signing with the Sixers in free agency. The thing I am salivating about is for so long on these podcasts, I've mentioned the Sixers needing players who are interchangeable that can play positionless basketball or guard multiple positions, play multiple positions offensively. Um, here is Furkan Korkmaz starting in some instances, playing the backup, uh, point guard and others coming off the bench like he did here in this game and getting hot. That's the interchangeableness that we uh, so have, have longed for for such a long time. George Niang fits that mold. Paul Reed seeming to fit that mold as well. Shake Milton has, has had to do that as well. So uh, it's just good to see guys who can do it on both ends and ha- are able to, you know, give that Sixers that interchangeableness that I think the teams that have been better than them, uh, the, the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors, have had multiple players like that who can do that, where the Sixers haven't had players who could be as successful being as interchangeable. Um, can you speak to those other guys, you know, Paul Reed, Maxi, uh, the contributions over these last three games, uh, who stood out to you or who has maybe not stepped up to the plate as much? Can't really really think of anyone that that would fall in that latter category. I think overall, it's just felt like wherever they put on the floor, they're going to find a way to win the game. I think that speaks to the versatility uh, you speak of. And then I think also uh, it's been really nice that Maxi and Milton seem to have, have made significant defensive improvements, and that just opens up so many more possibilities uh, where you feel like Shake Milton can guard someone like a Zach Levine with Matisse Thibel sidelined and do quite well in that matchup, forcing into a lot of contested jumpers, really not concede much ground. Uh, he's a, a big, strong guard uh, who is a good all on-ball defender, it looks like, uh, which is really nice to have. And then uh, Tyrese Maxey keeps getting these matchups against star point guards. Lonzo Ball, obviously not as dynamic an offensive threat as a, a Trey Young or a Damian Lillard, but uh, Maxi hasn't lo- looked overmatched in any of these situations, uh, despite being a 20-year-old second-year player starting in the NBA for the first time. So I think just that solidity defensively uh, has really enhanced this interchangeability and this sense that you can plug anyone in in any situation and they might not be a standout, but at a minimum, they're going to do all right. 
uh, Paul Reed too. I mean, just having uh, a four or five sort of guy who can also guard a DeMar DeRozan uh, and isn't even a rotation player when everyone's healthy. I think that is indicative of the Sixers, at least based on what we've seen so far, being a legitimately deep team. And, and especially like in the two matchups against the Bulls, like I, I like the Bulls as a team. I think they've improved significantly, but boy, the Sixers look a lot deeper. Like Chicago just doesn't have many scoring options off of that bench. And I think they're very dependent on their star players. And the Sixers are, are a contrast to that uh, thus far. Sixers doing all of this without Tobias Harris, uh, without Ben Simmons, obviously, um, which just speaks to, to me, the biggest thing the Sixers can do to show everyone that we can wait as long as we humanly uh, have to in order to get value out of a Ben Simmons trade is to continue to play well and to win basketball games. And that's what they've done. They've done it without Tobias Harris. You mentioned Matisse Thibel also in the COVID protocol now. Um, do, you, do you feel me on that? I mean, at this point, they, they're in the catbird seat. They find Simmons uh, uh, another game check um, because they felt like that he wasn't giving them proper notification and updates on uh, the doctors he was seeing through the Players Association. Um, so they, they played this, you know, so many of us, you know, who have come across or had opinions on the Simmons thing have hoped that the Sixers would have the uh, stones, so to speak, to, you know, play the cards the way they should in order to make make him report to camp and not make this thing, you know, a, a big upheaval type of situation. And it seems like they've done that really well. Um, well how do you feel about the way the Sixers have played this the Simmons thing and won without him and, and kept their leverage that way? I, I do think it was always – going to matter how they started the season. If, undeniably, if they were two and eight instead of eight and two, uh, their, their position would be weaker and they would have to feel a higher level of desperation or urgency to make a trade, regardless of, of what Daryl Morey might say publicly. Uh, as far as this most recent development with them resuming fines, um, I think it's again, really difficult and and it, you do want to exercise a degree of caution when we're talking about someone uh, someone's mental readiness or, or mental health or, or those sort of topics but uh, you know the Sixers I think it's easy to understand their perspective of Ben Simmons has not sufficiently indicated to them like what exactly he is doing to get on a return to play timeline. And, and I, there's the fact that just no definitive timeline exists and, and they just don't have a great idea of what is next with him. Uh, you know, they feel that they are within their rights uh, to resume finding him because he's not really making progress on eventually playing for them again. Um, but it's difficult. And I mean, to, to me personally, I can understand the Simmons side too of he is seeing mental health professionals, you know, via the MBPA uh, it's been reported. Uh, and, you know, you can understand him not feeling like he should be obligated to provide complete right. details on, on exactly what's going on on that side. So yeah, it's all been, unfortunately, uh, can, you know, very messy as we, as we've said time and time again. And, 
you know, this is a standoff that that is just festered for a long time. And, um, you know, it's, it's difficult territory. But uh, the Sixers, I think, don't feel mired in a lot of that trouble. And it doesn't feel, you know, especially problematic to them right now because they're winning basketball games. So, yeah, the notion that you can wait it out and uh, you can just kind of continue to navigate that that Simmons saga on a day-to-day basis, I uh, think that all looks a lot more credible uh, when you're eight and two. So uh, good for them for, for weathering that storm. And this would be a different team uh, with Simmons out on the floor. And would they be eight and two? Maybe. Would they be better? Maybe. Uh, would they be worse? I think is the thing that pe- some people might wonder uh, because of Simmons' uh, reluctance to shoot, um, because of the way, you know, the, the, the way, the way that the shooting has been a part of this whole run that they've been able to make. I'm, I'm curious how would look if Ben was on the floor, but I, I optimistically think they will be where they are or better if Simmons was out there because we talk about the interchangeableness of the players and who's out there and, and Ben is as interchangeable as anyone, particularly on the defensive end. But whether Ben is here or not, the Sixers are playing a tough slate of games here. Uh, even if we just go back to the beginning of November, the back-to-back, which started uh, after our last podcast with the Bulls and the Pistons back-to-back, uh, and then you play the Bulls again in like a three-day span, um, the New York Knicks, one of their only losses here coming up at home. I'm sure the Sixers will have some serious uh, teeth and gnarled and, and sharpened for that. Um, and then a back-to-back with the Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks, followed by the Raptors, the Pacers, and the Utah Jazz, Denver. A, a, heck of a, a heck of a slate here for the Sixers. A lot of teams here who you might think will be in the playoffs or vying for a playoff spot. Um, some people have uh, given the criticism that the Sixers will be a team that will have trouble playing against a team like the Milwaukee Bucks if it comes to to a tight game and closing um, a tight game. But Seth Curry has stepped up in that role. Obviously, Joel Embiid is someone who they've leaned on in that for time and time again. Tobias Harris coming back healthy will help with that. So I don't have that much of a concern. And I look at these matchups that are coming up as prime, exciting NBA basketball. I can't wait to see how the competitiveness of it uh, determines the outcome. Um, I mean, are, are you concerned about any of these opponents coming up or do you see the Sixers as being possibly favored with all these matchups? Well, I think, you know, on the, the topic of late game offense, we again can't neglect Farrakhan Korkmaz, who leads the team by a wide, wide mm. margin in that category. He's been mm. a legit late game threat. Uh, definitely a tough road, but I think a bunch of these, at least probably three of these games that they've won, on um, the streak, uh, there were valid reasons to think that they just didn't have enough firepower. I mean, we can't overstate, like the last two games, Doc Rivers has played an eight-man rotation uh, with one of those players being someone who was outside of the rotation previously. And Paul Reed and Tyrese Maxey has combined for 89 minutes. So uh, guys are playing a really heavy load. Uh, and again, every, every one of the eight guys who's appeared has made positive contributions. Uh, I do think it's, it's valid to wonder uh, if 
all those minutes are going to take a toll uh, and whether the, the hot shooting is sustainable, you know, whether, I mean, they're probably not going to shoot about 40% from three uh, on the season. 50% last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that seems unlikely, but um, yeah, we, we haven't really been given any reason to doubt that this team can, can keep winning ball games. Uh, I think this three little three game homestand, uh, it would it would be big if they could could pull off wins in at least two of those games, uh, because then you've got a six game road trip uh, that looks quite grueling, uh, and the Sixers obviously have been a superior home uh, team, you know, by a wide margin over the last few years. Uh, so you'd hope to keep the good vibes and the, and the good momentum rolling into that road trip. Uh, the next matchup will will certainly be a fascinating one. That was, without question, their their worst game of the 10 they've played so far. Uh, there was very little to like, actually, in that performance. Uh, well, so, you talk about a game where the cold shooting, uh, you know, catch it, caught up with them. That that was case in point right there is the Knicks were making threes and the Sixers clearly weren't hitting anything that game. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that was that was the key factor for sure. In addition to Embiid uh, dealing with double teams poorly in that game. Uh, so you imagine they'll, they'll test him again with the aggressive doubles uh, and the Sixers would, would love at some stage to get some reinforcements, but uh, you know, there's, there's no firm timeline with any of this health and safety stuff because uh, you need to return two consecutive negative tests at least 24 hours apart. Uh, and a lot of it is just based on, you know, if, if you do it, if you're one of the people in the protocol that does indeed have COVID just, are you symptomatic? Uh, how severe is it for you and all of that? So um, there's a lot of uncertainty there and uh, you, you sure hope that they don't continue to have to play games with eight or nine players um, because I believe they can keep winning games, but uh, I, I am. Like you said, it's going to catch up with them. Yeah. I don't, you can't keep winning games with, with eight players forever. Uh, so Hopefully, um, you know, Danny Green, it seems to be close. He was questionable heading into the last game. Maybe they get him back Monday or Tuesday, uh, and that would be a little boost and at least provide a little extra depth there. Well, you make a great point because it really transitions really well into the next topic of discussion because, you know, they're winning these games with, with some, a, bit, a bit of luck because of not having as many players available. I mentioned, you know, Joel you know, the ball's changing in the Bulls game and, and Joel going nuts uh, once the balls were changed. Um, all that synergy and excitement and whatnot that's surrounding the team, um, a great um, example of that was last night, Doc Rivers, his 1,000th win in Chicago. Uh, as a Chicago guy, obviously played his basketball at Marquette and, um, you know, wins his 1,000th game and is celebrated, you know, in the locker room as he should be. And my personal perspective is, you know, I remember Doc Rivers, the player. I remember him, you know, collecting his, his basketball card. I remember him in those dogs, scratch, kick, punch fights with the Knicks and the Bulls. Um, so to see him become this version of himself, uh, it's, it's really like, I don't know if surreal is the word, but to, you know, you think about your own, you know, journey and, the, the stops along the way and, and being able to reinvent yourself the way Doc has from a player into a coach and a particularly a coach has won champ, a championship and has a thousand victories is, is really impressive. I mean, um, 
and all the other things he's done and, you know, raising kids who play basketball at a high level, um, you know, his, his relationship with, you know, Seth Curry and that being his, you know, son-in-law, just like his contribution to basketball and, you know, his perspectives on the social justice issues and things like that, just the human being of Doc Rivers. So it's worth reflecting regardless of how you might feel about his acumen at times. Uh, he is, you know, one of the greats of the game in some aspects and a thousand wins is, is definitely a way to, to mark that, um, which, which, you know, here he is trying to build, you know, so many more victories after that. So props to Doc Rivers. Yeah, not, not to make you feel old, but I think on my end, the first time I ever, ever saw Doc Rivers play might have might have been on ESPN Classic, might have been on the <laughs> old um, – that Hawks uh, Celtics series, the game seven of that series. I remember he had like 15 assists and obviously a bunch of them to Dominique Wilkins. And he still, he still talks. Right. right. That was a short shorts era. Yes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he's, he's played across many different generations and I think been just a very impactful person, obviously all of the relationships with the stars he's played with and coached haven't been smooth, but it does stand out that he forms these really deep connections with people and uh, players that he coached, you know, 10, 20 years ago uh, still respect him so highly and consider him a mentor and a good friend and someone that they seek wisdom from. So uh, just even outside all the basketball achievements, I think um, that's something that, that should be noted uh, that he's just been an important person uh, in so many others lives, which um, which is which is pretty cool, and and I think it's something he appreciates, and he enjoys that side of the game. Get, getting to, um, you know, be a father figure in many instances to to these young men, or or just someone that, um, you know, they can look up look up to in certain ways. Um, as far as basketball, inevitably, like many are going to associate him with being a coach who uh, has had a lot of trouble holding on to leads mm-hmm. and holding on to playoff leads, um, but. He's, again, coaching a very good team. He's only 60 years old, and um, with the Sixers, there is an opportunity to be more than just the coach who won a championship with the 2008 Celtics. He can add another one to his resume, uh, and that would be incredibly impressive if he pulls it off here and and lifts the Sixers to their first championship since uh, 1983. So. I think that would be extremely meaningful to him and, and honestly probably mean more than just, you know, reaching this milestone of a thousand wins. Uh, he wants another title. He thinks he can do it here. So um, we'll, we'll see if he's able to pull it off. I just always think it's fascinating, man, with, uh, you know, these people, you know, maybe like Elton Brand, for instance, and, and maybe Doc Rivers, even to a greater degree, just going from being a blue chip player to reaching these extreme heights of, you know, basketball period, you know, from, you know, Elton Brand, the number one pick, the NBA general manager and all the stuff in between and Doc Rivers, like McDonald's All-American, you know, uh, NBA player, Suns NBA player, NBA championship. There's a, a lot of milestones and achievements and, you know, things that, you know, we talk about and, and, and consider. So it's just an interesting basketball story. Um, and, uh, Hopefully it does lead to a championship here soon. Um, Noah, what are you working on? Uh, I know a lot of uh, Sixers games here on the slate. So uh, anything particular that stands out to you? 
Yeah, um, quiet, quiet day for us. In all honesty, here we'll be we'll be tuned into uh, Eagles Chargers. The Eagles. Yes, but uh, yeah, picking things back up Monday morning, uh, previewing that matchup against the Knicks, and looking forward to them, you know, being back at Wells Fargo Center and and having coverage of the game. So uh, that's the highlight, uh, and yeah, there'll there'll be other stuff on on top of that, but uh, we'll we'll be all on top of the coverage from the center, as we, as we I believe, uh, <laughs> are supposed to call it. Uh, so, yeah. Check out Noah's work on NBC Sports, Philadelphia.com. Follow him on Twitter at Noah Levick. Uh, for Ben Barry and Noah Levick, I'm Danny Pommels. Thanks for listening to the Sixers Talk podcast. We're brought to you by Wilmington University. Wilmu Works. We'll see you next time. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.